Max, back after just an incredible last day of the Premier League season where, as a Chelsea fan, there's a word in in my culture called Spilkers. I was on Spilkers. I was just absolutely all over the place. Chelsea were in the top four, outside of the top four. What a weekend. Somehow Liverpool ended up third. I have no idea how you've done that. Not a bad title defence, I suppose. Just an unbelievable weekend of sport, really, Max. And you finished third in the Premier League. So how are you feeling? I can imagine it's quite a relief, one, to be in the Champions League spots. And two, it's just joy, isn't it? Yes, mate. Um, it's, it's everything I could have possibly asked for in the final day, to be honest. Like the way results turned out. Um, I know you'll be thankful of the result that I thought I'd be relying on with the uh, Spurs and Leicester game, but it was it, it was uh, brilliant the way we played Palace. The game in itself, uh, you know, we did everything that we had to do on the day. If you told me a few weeks ago when we uh, drew to Newcastle that we would be finishing third in the season, I would have said I would have said stop talking nonsense because our hopes and dreams were over, but but they weren't so. Um, we we kept them alive, you know, the, the the team kept them alive off their own back. They really uh, pulled out a strong finish in the season. And I guess you can say third is almost deserved, no? Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard. If a team finishes third and they've clearly done something right and after that Wolves game, you put a run together, build the belief up and you finish the season strong. Uh, Genie won Adams last game as well. So that's going to be a massive miss for Liverpool next season. But two scrappy goals, really, in that Liverpool game, I know. Uh, you said you did the job and you, you did you, you did the job. You got the three points. You finished third above Chelsea. And for me, it was uh, all relied on Tottenham. Tottenham got Chelsea into the Champions League places. And uh, it was a strong Chelsea team. So I was surprised that we couldn't beat Aston Villa outright. Uh, and it was a shame. The only change was Kovacic and for Kante after his injury against Leicester. Um, and I liked what Tuchel said in his post-match. He was very honest. He didn't try and glorify uh, the fact that Chelsea had finished in the top four. He was very honest and said it wasn't a great game of football. And dressing room was very quiet. Kane's last game for Spurs was uh, a blessing for Chelsea. You really think that's his last game, for sure? Yeah, I think so. I don't see him staying in uh, the Conference League. He's way too good. Uh, you know, the, the first player in Premier League history to the Conference get League. the Golden Boot. Exactly, the Conference League. And the most assists in one season... Um, I think Kane to Chelsea is on the cards and I wouldn't be too surprised if we sign and we need out and out goal scorer. Timo Werner can't seem to stay on side. So if Kane can just stay on side, he's already uh, doing better in front of goal than Timo Werner. And he beat Salah by goal, didn't he, to the golden boot? Yeah, uh, that, that's probably the only shame you could take away from uh, from the result that Spurs turned out because it benefited both of us at the end of the day. But that's that's OK, you know. As I said, I was writing this season off months ago when we were having a horrible patch. So for Salah to even come second in the Golden Boot race, uh, it's it's all right. I'll take it and I'll I'll take our finishing position. As I said, I think every one of our fans will, to be honest, because uh, third third's looking nice and pretty. But as far as you go with uh, your game as well, yeah, beating not being able to beat Villa is a bit. Well, <laughs> I can't say that it's uh, yeah, it was embarrassing. It's, it's it's not for all of us, but. We, we got embarrassed by them even more, mate. So I can't really well, criticise Chelsea for, for only losing 2-1. Yeah, look, to be fair to Villa, they've had a uh, finishing 11th in the Premier League. Is, it's a great season for them. And uh, look, and at the end of the day, we finished in the top four. So I really do sound like a Premier League player when I say at the end of the day, but we did. We ended up in the top four. Bale came off the bench for Spurs. And to quote Ben Foster, just you little beauty. Like Bale was just 
uh, outstanding and we'll forget about the handball from Kane and uh, a bail second to follow really just uh, sorted the game out for us and sorted out our Champions League spaces and uh, place and, and means that when we go into the Champions League final when we head into the Champions League final we don't have that extra pressure of needing to win to secure um, Champions League football for next season so uh, as a Chelsea fan I'm pretty happy I was wondering Max what you made of Brendan Rodgers and Leicester because again they seem to have bottled their top four chances um, for me is it that impressive winning an FA Cup with a team Leicester have it's an achievement uh, but you know Roberto Martinez won the FA Cup with Wigan I don't think uh, although I said that it puts him in that top bracket of manager last week I, I never assumed Leicester I never thought Leicester realistically would drop out of the top four if they were beating Spurs which they were so to bottle it it, it puts questions in my mind about Brendan Rodgers Max yeah I mean it does make you the way the way he finishes seasons and as you said the bottle the, the Brendan bottle in itself definitely does tarnish the his, his reputation as a manager because it's a consistent theme in his career so it's like yeah, it, it definitely, uh, as, as you said, makes you question what calibre of manager he is because you see him win the FA Cup um, with... It is a, a strong Leicester team, you know, um, but it's still a good achievement, as you said, um, to win it. So so you think he's fantastic manager in that regard and then he goes and pulls out one of those performances against Spurs. So it's uh, it, it does make you question. He's been doing that, obviously, since, uh, since he was at Liverpool with us. So... Um, it's definitely a tarnish on what a great manager uh, he is. Yeah, I agree. And from one ex-Liverpool manager to another, the other sto- talking point in, in your game on the weekend was Roy Hodgson's retirement. And uh, he will be a massive miss. And I, I do kind of feel bad for him after all these years in football that uh, he went out. Well, you know, he ends his career losing to Liverpool, the team he used to manage. But to be fair, I thought they were quite quite impressive on the weekend. I thought they put up a fight against uh, your lot. And, from our game, we had the uh, Azpilicueta red card, which I thought was definitely a red card. You, you can't be uh, behaving the way he did. And uh, Mendy getting injured as well, which is a massive blow, in my opinion, for the Champions League final. 16 clean sheets this season, only behind Edison. Uh, he's out for the final. So, uh, yeah, a little bit worried now going into that, especially with City winning on the weekend to lift uh, the Premier League trophy. It's less than a week away, Max. So, what are you thinking, you know, based on Chelsea's form at the moment? It hasn't been great. That Arsenal result, the Aston Villa result, where City, on the other hand, I know they lost to Brighton, uh, but they've really, they really showed on the weekend what, what powerhouses they are. 5-0 against Everton. Um, I'm worried. Yeah, um, I think so you should be, mate, to be honest. Uh, you know, there's that older cliche in boxing that you're only as good as your last fight, but I think it still applies to football as well. Um and it's it's not looking good if, if if you look back at the your previous performance in comparison to City. So you, you can't really dwell on that though, uh going into the final. As a player, uh, definitely you can't. So hopefully they go in there, you know, on a, with with a fresh slate and actually rise to the occasion that you've done uh, a few times against City this season and a few times in big occasions. Uh but I, I say that and that's some praise that I give the club. And then I see how you play yesterday and that is also a big occasion. So I'm not really sure what Chelsea is going to turn up um, uh, next week. Yeah, I think the advantage is that there's added pressure on City. It's their first time in a Champions League final. Chelsea have been there twice before. 
uh, and we won it the last time we were there. So I think that takes the pressure off Chelsea ever so slightly, but uh, it's going to be a massive game. Now is the moment to breathe. That's what Tuchel said uh, after the result against Villa. You know, a week to regroup, a week to really go for it. Nothing to lose for Tuchel, really. He's come in and he's changed the squad around. Yeah, how many months ago was it? A couple of months ago, however many it was, when Lampard uh, lost his job as Chelsea boss and we would never have dreamed of a Champions League final. Finishing in the top four as well. It's an incredible achievement for Thomas Tuchel. And I know it went down to the wire. We kind of just stumbled over the line, but we crossed the line in the end. And uh, just like West Ham did too, qualified for Europe. And we, if you go back and listen to some of our earlier podcasts, you can hear Jack Hobbs, uh, the founder of uh, Talking Irons. He was on and that was when they were in the Champions League spots, but still to qualify for the Europa League for West Ham, that's an incredible achievement too. Yeah, I mean... As you said, as you referred to that episode, we were quite um, ambitious about West Ham even possibly finishing in the top four. But you look how tight it was and it's understandable how they didn't make it in there. But still, as you said, a uh, huge achievement to, to be playing uh, Europa League football, at least. you know, the, I'm sure the fans will take that and, and there'll be no complaints from that side. Uh, and it's, it's great to see them you know, bounce back from the last season they had um, to actually finish so high and, and proud performance this season. Uh, because, you know, they they were struggling to even stay up. I remember at one point, you know, relegation battle was on the cards for them. So uh, to see them now qualify for European Cup is, is brilliant and it's what makes you really appreciate Premier League football. Yeah, absolutely. They, they did struggle to stay up last season and David Moyes has come in and done a fantastic job. And the only worry I'd have for him now is that he set the bar extremely high. And you know what West Ham fans are like, anything uh, below that bar, they're going to be extremely critical. So I do worry a little bit for... David Moyes, because as Burnley showed, it's not easy playing in the Europa League uh, and in the Premier League at the same time. Uh, so let's see how they cope next season. Certainly going to be interesting. Um, but, you know, Moyes, next Everton manager, back to Merseyside. What do you make of your season overall? Looking back, Liverpool, do you think uh, it has been a successful one because you finished third? But as a Liverpool fan, how do you feel when you reflect on a really long campaign? It's, it's all right. You know, I think. Uh, when you look at how busy our past three, two or three years has been, you know, there's going to there's gonna come a time where you don't, you know, not that it's a transitional period or anything. It's just uh, a bit of a breather. You know, we I think we saw that especially with uh, Man City, even last season, you know, you don't see the the clubs that you're used to seeing on top form on top form. You don't you don't see that um, usual character, but you know, we, we had that to deal with and obviously we were plagued with injuries, not to use that as an excuse um, because, well, there's there's no excuse to use. As you said, we finished third and uh, I think all in all, I, I won't, wouldn't really call it successful because uh, of the expectations we've had from winning trophies the previous seasons. But I think when you consider that and consider, as I said, how busy these past few campaigns has been, it's been all right to um, actually see us get that top three, uh, top four convincingly and and take that breather. And I'm really sure that we'll come again next season, even harder and back to the Liverpool that um, you all knew and hated last season. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I think injuries definitely played a part. Obviously, Van Dijk was a massive blow and that will be the excuse Leicester fans use as well, their injury problems. Um, But then you look at Liverpool who have also had injury problems. So whether that is an excuse in the Premier League, it's a difficult one. But I think considering the issues you've had this season, Liverpool have done well. Jürgen Klopp deserves a lot of credit. He's had a really tough year personally um, and it hasn't been easy with COVID as well. So to finish third, I think that's a pretty exceptional achievement, uh, bearing in mind 
what's happened this season. Um, and from my point of view as a Chelsea fan, I think Tuchel, like I, like I just said, has done a remarkable job to get Chelsea into the Champions League spots, um, playing in Europe next season amongst the very best uh, in world football. And look, it, it hasn't been bad, has it? Uh, runners up in the FA Cup final. We've got a Champions League final uh, still to play. And so uh, I think as a Chelsea fan, he's brought the group back together. Uh, we look more of a unit now. If we sign Harry Kane, which Kane wants to stay in England, Chelsea need a front man. And I, I know we're, we are a rival of Tottenham, but I think that would be the perfect match uh, in my view. Maybe it's a bit of a biased one, but hopefully next season we can go on and challenge for the title. Uh, speaking of titles and challenging for them, we had a date set in stone for uh, Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua. It was going to be on the 14th of August in Saudi Arabia. It's amazing what can happen in a week because, Max, we've gone from that confirmed date and location for Joshua Fury to Fury versus Wilder 3 and AJ uh, versus the WBO mandatory challenger Alexander Yusick. And what frustrates me is that surely Fury knew that Wilder would try and force a third fight. I mean, that's exactly what happened in this arbitration hearing. And who can blame Wilder? To be fair to Wilder, who can blame him? You know, he wants to get back in the spotlight. He's got a chance to win back his his belts. Why wouldn't he go for it? Um, So it it really angers me that we were promised this fight on the 14th of August. And seemingly they knew full well that Wilder could go for that uh, arbitration hearing, which he did. Uh, Usyk played his part in initially stepping aside. So I kind of feel bad for Usyk as well. Now he's being thrown back in the deep end um, and everything was good to go. And as it seems to regularly happen in boxing nowadays, uh, we just haven't got what we want. Uh, This is what Tyson Fury's former promoter, Mick Hennessy said. I knew something like this was going to come out a hundred percent. I knew it. uh, So it didn't surprise me in the least. I'm really annoyed. I I take it that you're not happy about it either, Max. Well, it just goes to show, doesn't it, that um, a, a fight in boxing is never done until the fighters are walking out and getting in there and actually throwing punches. Honestly, it's just stupid. The uh, it's it's like it's like a cliche how much uh, everyone says about it, everyone shames it, but it literally just comes in again. Like it's so frequent. It's 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 a normal. It's a valid cliche. It makes it like make sense because honestly, this just comes in. Like, how are you going to? What camp was ignoring that arbitration? As you said, Tyson Fury should have been aware of it and should have known that world was going to go for it, but also shouldn't have, you know, Anthony Joshua's side considered that and realised it and realised, wait, hang on, we've just signed these papers, we've got a date and a venue confirmed, but this arbitration and, and world is still lingering about. Like, surely they knew something about that. As, you know, as a, especially from the promotion and the paperwork point of view, both teams surely have a good idea about that. So I don't know who was ignoring it, um, but it has yeah, ruined, obviously, the fight that everyone was looking forward to and what I'm sure would be uh, would have been fight of the year. So it's, it's a big shame, but I think there's still time. Um, I'm, not, I'm not much of a... Pay- I try and be p- as patient as possible because I know uh, you need that in boxing now, but it's is really pushing my limits at this point. Yeah, it's pushing mine too. And the likelihood is the fight now will probably happen next year, this round this time next year, I'd guess. As a boxing fan, as a pundit, whatever, it's it's really frustrating that this fight now won't happen this year because, uh, like you said, Wada was lingering around and they must have known about that. 
and they chose to ignore it. There's this 20 million pound bare knuckle fight as well that Tyson Fury is offering Anthony Joshua, uh, but that probably won't happen either. If it does, I don't think it would pan out well for Anthony Joshua. I think Tyson Fury would have had more bare knuckle fights in his life than AJ has. Uh, but for me, it's embarrassing for the sport. There, there will be football fans, rugby fans, tennis fans, whatever you want, looking into boxing at the moment, thinking, what a mess. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're not wrong, to be honest. Um, it's annoying that these uh, fights don't get delivered because Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, these are the names that grow the fan base of boxing, that, you know, bring in more faces to the sport. So, it's as you said, it is embarrassing that they can't deliver and can't execute this fight because this is what will bring more casuals in and, and as I said, bring eyes to the sport and make it even more popular. So, the fact that it's going to be ruined by... Um, arbitrations that should have been resolved months ago is just makes it such a shame and and when people you know people who don't have a lot of uh, knowledge about boxing they'll still say oh yeah there's a lot of politics involved there's a lot of this and that and you know they're not actually wrong they might not have much of a clue about the sport but they know that much and it's true so it's yeah as you said it, it is embarrassing um, it's embarrassing to be such an advocate for this sport and say oh yeah you know this is boxing, this is great, we have big fights like Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua, but we don't. So it's like, what can I even say now? Well, listen, from one undisputed fight that may or may not happen, we hope it does, uh, to one that has happened, and uh, a British champion that I don't feel gets the recognition he deserves. Let's go to Josh Taylor. I know you love him, Max. Became only the sixth undisputed champion in the four-belt era as he historically beat Jose Ramirez to unify the light welterweight division. The Scotsman twice knocked down the American on his way to, I think, quite, I'd say, surprisingly close uh, 1-1-4 to 1-1-2 victory on the scorecards in Vegas. The first ever undisputed British champion. He's 30 years old. What an incredible achievement, one. Uh, And why doesn't the casual boxing fan know anything about him? It doesn't make sense to me. This guy uh, has done something no one else has before. I think it's a huge shame that going back to AJ Fury, that's kind of overshadowed the world of boxing. And that is probably why when you turn on the radio, or you look at a newspaper, he's Josh Taylor is not all over the back pages or all over the headlines. Yeah. I, I, you, you are right, mate. I feel like this is, you know, I feel like we might be in the 1900s with the way this is. The fact that just because he's a lighter boxer, he's not like getting this recognition. That's how it feels because you've got the heavyweights that are going verbal back and forth, not even having a fight signed. Whilst this like huge undisputed fight is going underway and is set and is confirmed. I'm like, people, as I said, people should rightfully be ashamed and be annoyed at the Joshua and Fury fight not happening. But then they need to like turn and, and look at the positives that the sport is still providing. And one of them was Taylor and Ramirez and what a fight it was. Um, as you said, yeah, the scorecard's a little bit close. I think... Taylor's going over there as the away fighter, isn't it? So I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of jaded in the sport now. So I know if there's a a, a home boxer, that he's going to get kind of benefit of the doubt with the scorecard. So I wasn't surprised to see him like that. Um, but yeah, he's, as you said, he scored two knockdowns. He's dominant, and this guy just keeps on getting better every fight I see him in. Um, what's happening right now? like Josh Taylor's story right now should not be going unheard. Should not be going under the radar like it is. And it's unfortunate that the main talking point about Josh Taylor when it's brought up is that he's not getting enough recognition, but I'm not going to stop bringing that up until he gets the recognition he deserves because he's so deserving of it. You know what Joshua and Fury are trying to do to get this fight signed, what they're trying to achieve by winning this fight. Taylor literally just achieved this weekend. He's unified 
all the belts, the whole division. So, yeah, people need to be paying attention to this man because not just that, he's also a class, exciting fighter. Like, he didn't just cruise to a decision or, you know, box clever to get a points win. He also knocked Ramirez down twice. Twice. So this is this is great boxing you're missing if you're not getting on board with Josh Taylor. So if I was to uh, sell him to you, it would be all that and literally just get on board with this man now because um, he's taking British and, and Scottish boxing to places that you've never seen before. You heard it there from Max. He's an absolute credit to the sport. And uh, I, I hope he has, he will have a long, a fruitful career from now onwards. And he will probably write his name into the Boxing Hall of Fame. He says he wants to go up to 147 and chase a really, really big uh, fight like Terence Crawford. Um, that would be incredible. Two undisputed champions going at it. Uh, you know, doesn't nothing beats that, does it? Uh, but Crawford, uh, who beat Kel Brook, says that, Taylor needs to just bide his time a little bit, have a few more fights of that light welterweight division before he he makes that step up. Uh, I know that uh, Crawford wants Manny Pacquiao next, but that would be one fight to look forward to, Terence Crawford versus uh, Josh Taylor. Yeah, when... I hear fights circulating around with Terence Crawford now. I never really buy into them too much, especially with when you see what's happening with, um, well, with what happened with him and Errol Spence. Like, you know, everybody needed, wanted that fight to happen to unify the um, welterweight bouts. And now instead, Spence is fighting Pacquiao, whom you just literally said Terence Crawford wanted. So now Terence Crawford doesn't have a fight with Pacquiao. Why doesn't he take uh, Josh Taylor? And I'll tell you why. Because I feel, right, love Terence Crawford. He's he's a great boxer, like nothing but respect for him. But I feel like when it comes to signing fights, and this has been a whole point of his career, by the way, like when people bring him up, people say, oh, he's, he's great. But, you know, people, some people put him up there with Canelo in the, in the pound for pound rankings, right? But uh, but people combat that and counteract it by saying, yeah, he hasn't had um, the big names and whatnot. That's, and it's because I feel when he circulated with a big name, it never actually goes through. It never gets signed. So I think just the thought of Josh Taylor and, and Terence Crawford, I'm fully on that. I'd be tuning at any time of the day to watch that fight, any time of the week to watch that fight. But I just feel like, as you said, it almost sounds like he's trying to make excuses there already, saying Josh Taylor needs to bide his time. What does that even mean? Josh Taylor just wants the next big fight. Like, I don't know why Crawford doesn't want the same thing. So it's, um, I, I hope that would happen, but I'm, I'm really doubtful when it comes to uh, super fights and Terrence Crawford. I mean, Josh Taylor literally can't do any more as a junior welterweight. He's, he's dominated the division. He's just unified the division. So I don't know what Crawford wants him to do at that light welterweight level because he's done everything. Literally. And Crawford is a former undisputed light welterweight um, champion himself. I think, I'm not sure if he had all four belts or just the three of them, but he's like, he was unified in, in that division that Josh Taylor's just come from. And what did he do after that? He went up to welterweight. So why is he telling Josh Taylor to stick around when that's pretty much hypocritical? Because uh, that is not what Crawford done when he won all those bouts. He shot straight up to welterweight. Uh, and that sh- should be, and seems to be what is on a, Josh Taylor's agenda too. So even if he has a few fights at welterweight, um, it would make sense if Crawford wasn't his first one there. But yeah, I, I think now's a great time to go up and uh, try and become a two-weight world champion. Well, I'll tell you who else is trying to become a world champion. And that's Max Verstappen. He leads uh, the F1 leaderboard. Uh, now, I think it's by four points. First time in his career that he's leading uh, the world championship standing. It was a dominant victory in Monaco for Max Verstappen. The Dutchman controlled the race after pole sitter Charles Leclerc, who's in my fantasy team, along with Lewis Hamilton, who finished very badly. Uh, Charles Leclerc broke down before the start. So a terrible weekend for me 
in terms of F1 fantasy. Uh, Hamilton finished seventh. Uh, he was quite frustrated uh, and angry that Mercedes's pre-race plans sort of fell apart. Um, and adding to a bad day for the world champions, uh, Hamilton's teammate Valtteri Bottas then retired when the mechanics were unable to remove his right front wheel at his pit stop when the wheel gun stripped the nut. Uh, what a race in Monaco. Usually it's not that entertaining. Uh, it was madness this time around. Bottas uh, was running second to Verstappen as well. So a really awful uh, weekend for Mercedes, a great weekend for McLaren, uh, and as well for Ferrari's Carlos Sainz. Uh, the win moved the Red Bull driver into a four-point championship lead. Uh, Red Bull taking first place in the Constructors' Championship as well. So that was exciting, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, as, yeah, very exciting uh, weekend for Formula One. Loads of talking points, as you said, with Charles Leclerc as well. It's really disappointing, not just because he's in your fantasy team, but <laughs> because it was like a, it was almost, you know, threatening to be a fairy tale story for him as he got pole position uh, in the race and, and looked to, you know, well, he's always beaten about the top three in, in any races, isn't he? But um, he, he had a huge chance there. So it was unfortunate, but I, I fully get behind uh, Max Verstappen solely because we share the same forename. Literally that reason, I just thought getting into F1 like fickly, I was like, yeah, he's got the same name as me. I'll just support him. And he's and he's doing great. You know, um, he's well, as you said, in front of Hamilton now. And it'll be interesting to see if it ends up that way by the end of the season. But um, Red Bull, yeah, fa- fantastic weekend for them. And I think it's the first probably the first time of me actually paying attention to Formula One where I've seen Mercedes have that much of a nightmare uh, in, in one singular race is unfortunate for Hamilton because uh, as you said, it's in Monaco, so that track's all, all narrow and kind of uh, the opportunity for overtakes and to really kind of get up the leaderboard is uh, is hard when you're in the thick of it. And Hamilton finishing seventh and Bottas absolute nightmare in, in the pit. So, yeah, horrible weekend for uh, Mercedes, which kind of makes it quite refreshing. It's nice to see uh, yeah. the, the big dogs kind of fall out of the, the winner's circle sometimes. Well, uh, uh, Max on top of the world, I think we'll see that again in the near future. Uh, I know... I know one Max Power who's who's got big dreams and ambitions, and I'm sure uh, he will be on an equal level to Max Verstappen uh, in, in not too long. So, yeah, that's it from the Middleman Podcast this week. A really exciting uh, weekend of sport with the Monaco Grand Prix, the Premier League uh, finishing for the season. We've only got now really the championship playoffs and uh, the National League League one and two as well. Uh, we've got some playoff games to look forward to. Uh, but that's it from the Middleman. It's been a, a great week of sport. I listen to most of it on the radio, actually, so... Uh, that was a unique take as well. And uh, I thought the BBC did really well to cover all of it. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, listen back. And if you've enjoyed our coverage throughout the Premier League season, then stay tuned because we're not going anywhere. Yeah, I think there's uh, probably chaos in every single, every three sport that we covered today. So um, tune in next week because there'll probably be even more chaotic talking points as uh, as the seasons go on. Well, can't say that for uh, footballers that's finished now but yeah stay tuned guys and uh, listen back to previous episodes we've got big guests um in in our last 12 and big guests coming up so stay tuned for them and we'll be back with you next week